Um, we've been going through this series on Midnight Oil because I, I really felt like in a time with Michael Maiden last year in August, September sometime, he and I were just sitting down and I felt like there was a moment. I felt like the Lord whispered a prophetic moment to us and said, this is the season for us to be going after oil. And so I've been eagerly desiring this series since that time because I really feel, feel like we're in a season. And we, we've been investigating this reality that uh, the season to gather oil and the season to burn oil are not the same seasons. And we're in the season to gather oil right now. And that's what the Lord is, is calling for us. So I, I want to preach a message called Between the Now and What is Yet to Come, Discovering the Holy Spirit's Beauty. Between what is now and what is yet to come. This idea of the, the nowness of this is that the Lord is whispering to us, I want you to be involved. I want you to get connected. I want you to build a relationship with Holy Spirit. I want you to rub shoulders with Him. I want you to let um, His beauty and His uh, power and His grace rub off on you. And I want your life to be full of that presence. I want you to be familiar and comfortable and experiencing the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about what is going on right now. Isaiah 49 is this great scripture that many of us have, have taken to our hearts. It says, this is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I'll keep you and I'll make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. It's scripture very near and dear to the heart and part of what the Lord's put on our church um, to reassign the desolate inheritances of the church. Now that is quoted again in 2 Corinthians 6. Paul uh, picks up that scripture from Isaiah 49 and he adds a little piece uh, to it. And he says this, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, and he quotes now from that scripture we just read, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So Paul says, that thing he was talking about, this is the dispensation we're in. That's what God was talking about. In that time, I will hear you and I will help you. So we're in the time of the hearing and the helping of God in our lives. And he says, don't take this moment of grace in vain. Don't sit back on your laurels. If you understand, if you perceive this is the time you're in. This is the season for you to be leaning forward, to be asking, because God says, I want to be hearing and to be pressing into God and bringing to him circumstances in your life so that he can help them because he said, I want to help you. And so this is the dispensation we're in. We're in a oil gathering moment. I want you to get that in your spirit more than anything else. And if you remember nothing else from the series, that's what I hope you come away with. Right now, there is an opportunity for us to lean forward, to get to know the Holy Spirit as a person in, as a personal walk with him, that he and I and you and he need to learn how to walk together, that you need to learn how to listen to his voice. Now is the season for us to learn to respond to the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I was thinking about this week is that Jesus goes to John at the beginning of his ministry, and John is, is calling people to repent. That's John's big message. Repent, you ugly thing, right? Repent. And so John, if you read his messages, he goes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, you brood of snakes? You need to change the way you're living. And people are going, wow, we want to repent. And everybody's coming to John, and John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So Jesus stands in line, and he shows up, and he says, here I am to repent. And John says, this is the wrong way around. I need to be baptized by you. If anybody's going to repent, it's going to be me. 
And Jesus said, no, John, I need you to, I need you to do this. this. We must follow this pattern. I need to go through this baptism of repentance. Something changed. I'm taking a brand new mind shift today. So the question is, what did Jesus change his mind on? But what was the big repentance Jesus had to do? Because repentance in the, in the form that John and Jesus used it does not mean feel guilty for your sins. It means take a, take a brand new mind. Have a brand new brain transplant, basically, is the, is the, the Greek sense of it. You need, you need to take a new mind about some stuff. And Jesus says, John, I need to revolutionize my thinking today. I need to come, I need to come and take on this repentance. And so... Up until that time, Jesus had obeyed the law. He'd been living under the law, born of a woman, Galatians says, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Jesus had been born as a Jew. He had been, he'd been, lived in the Jewish customs. He'd obeyed the law perfectly. He'd never once at any moment broken any law. He was legalistically faultless. And now the day is coming when Jesus is about to step into his ministry. John the Baptist has the day before pointed him out and says, there is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the whole world. And Jesus is about to be baptized because in the next moment, Jesus is going to come up out of the water and a voice from heaven is going to open up and God is going to say, basically, I accept this Lamb as the Lamb of God on behalf of the whole world. Because that's what you did. You took a lamb to the priest and the lamb, the, the lamb had to be perfect, not you. Because the priest understood that you were bringing the lamb because you had fallen short. So the priest didn't inspect the person who brought the lamb. The priest inspected the lamb. And if the lamb was found to be faultless, then you could lay hands on the lamb and the lamb would be a sacrificial um, in your stead. You could sacrifice the lamb. You would put your sin onto the lamb, and the lamb was killed. So the point of, of the whole lamb thing was that the priest had to examine the lamb, and if the lamb was found to be spotless, then the lamb was acceptable. And so when John said, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, God opens up the heaven and says, this is my son whom I love, and I'm well pleased. I accept this lamb on behalf of the world. From that time onwards, the Spirit of God comes on Jesus. And from that moment onward, Jesus no longer has to follow the letter of the law. He now has to follow the Spirit of God. You're joking. So now Jesus is walking in a different way. Now Jesus is responding to whatever the Holy Spirit is telling him to do. And so the Holy Spirit says to him, I want you to go and I want you to go sit with that sinner. And a prostitute is washing his feet and tax collectors are eating at his table and he's touching lepers. And all of those things made him ceremonially unclean under the law, but they're the will of God for him in the moment. And his ministry brought healing to them. He wasn't made unclean by their uncleanness. They were made whole by his wholeness. Okay, so there's a, there's a brand new change that Jesus had to go through, and some of us have to go through the same mental change, that it is so comfortable for us to follow the letter of the law when God is calling us to respond to the voice of His Spirit, because those who are led by the Spirit of God, they will be the mature, grown-up sons of God. And it is so tempting for us in Christianity to, to forego this relationship with the Holy Spirit and to come and just say, can somebody just give me a set of rules? And the problem with that is we hide from the light behind the pillars of truth. We, we hide from some of the realities of life because we go, no, 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 no. And it was this very issue that created the, the very people who call themselves the most holy and the most spiritual people of the decade who called for Jesus' crucifixion. In fact, it was those very people who handed Jesus over to be crucified because they, they could not respond to the living God, but they only wanted the letter of the law. 
So part of this series, I'm hoping, is this understanding that we need to at least focus ourselves a little bit more on a vital walk with the Holy Spirit and learn to respond to Him, learn to hear His voice, learn to celebrate Him and cooperate with Him and let His power and His life flow through our lives. So, that's where we are now. When Jesus returns, there's, there's coming a moment where we're gonna have to burn all the oil that we've acquired in this season. Let me take you to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is this great passage of scripture where Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives and this is close to his, his death and the disciples come to him privately and they say, okay, Jesus, can you tell us? Because Jesus has been explaining, I have to die and I have to go and I'm the same of the world and they go, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And so Jesus now, the rest of Matthew 24, as I'll take you through it, is Jesus explaining what's going to happen. It's a very interesting passage, and it's, it's, but it's, it's full of uh, different things, and, and so people obsess over this stuff, as they should, because these are the words of the Son of God, but I I'm, I'm just want to give you some sense of it. Matthew, uh, so Jesus said, look, this is, that was the question, when is all of this going to happen? So 7 verse 8, he says, you're going to hear of the beginnings of sorrows and wars and famines and earthquakes and pestilence, and then many of you will be handed over and many of you are going to fall away. In 15, he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the temple, then you'll understand. And in verse 21, he says, for then, after that, there'll be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. Matthew 23, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, don't believe them. Don't go running after these little things. Verse 29 to 30, immediately after the distress of those days, at that time, Jesus is constantly sort of taking them through a litany of this is what's going to happen, then this is what's going to happen. Verse 39, this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And then Jesus told three quick parables. So he's still in this concept. I want you to get the feel of this. This is Jesus still answering the question, can you just give us a sense of the end times? Jesus tells three parables. Firstly is the parable of a thief. He said, you, if you knew that a thief was coming to your house at three o'clock this morning, you would probably be waiting behind a window with a baseball bat or something, and you wouldn't let your house be broken into. But if you don't know that someone's gonna break into your house, then, then you're gonna be asleep at the time that it's all happening. He said, so I want you to be awake. So you must also be ready, Jesus said, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you don't expect him. And then he told the parable about the responsible servant, and he said, therefore keep watch because you don't know on the day on which your Lord will come. And then he told the parable which we've been focusing on about the wise and foolish virgins that ends with this phrase, therefore keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Now, we've been focusing there because Jesus in telling these parables, in the context of what he's been saying, has been, this is a call to the church to not fall asleep in the moment, to not back down, but to be alert, to be diligent, to be gathering oil in terms of the Lord coming back for you. So in all these discussions of the eschatology and the lost things and the symbols and the terrible times, the specific instruction that's given in the middle of this lack of clarity is that we must keep watch. 
And in order to do that well, he says you need enough oil to keep your lamps burning so that you can be prepared and ready when Jesus comes back. And this series is about the uh, gaining and the storing of oil, the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, because oil is one of the most persistent and consistent symbols in the scripture of the Holy Spirit. Oil is not the Holy Spirit, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it's a prized possession, this pure oil everywhere in daily life and in sacred life in Israel. So the Holy Spirit is precious and necessary for our lives. And learning and getting to know him is vital for us at this time. Now, I want to just talk a little aspect of the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? I feel like I've just been talking for 10 minutes about the same stuff. Okay. So one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit that we have to come to understand is that he's represented by a seven uh, lighted candelabra. And this idea comes to us first time in the old covenant in the tabernacle. God said, I want you to get X amount of gold out of one piece of gold. I want you to hammer out a seven uh, lighted candelabra. And I want you to put that lampstand right in front of the, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. You have the, the Ark of the Covenant, the curtain, and the lampstand. And that lampstand is the only mechanism that will give light in this tabernacle. I don't want you to have any other source of light. I want all the light to come from that seven-flamed candelabra. And so that's what they did. And so it was the priest's job and it was Israel's job to bring tithes on the oil. And that Israel had to keep, make sure that there was enough oil. And the priest had to make sure that the candelabra was, was well stocked so that from sundown to sunup, there was always light in the temp- temple. And that's how it came. Now, if you jump with me to Revelations 4, uh, the, we, we, John is taken to heaven and he sees a picture of what's going on in heaven. And it says, from the throne proceeded lightning Thunder voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That's an interesting phrase in the Greek. The sevenfold spirit or the the, the seven spirits of God. Basically, the, the seven most prominent attributes of the Holy Spirit, right? That's basically where we are. And if you come with me to Isaiah 11, this is where Isaiah talks about these seven fundamental biggest attributes of the Holy Spirit. He says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, talking about Jesus, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So let me take you through those very quickly, because I I think these are seven invitations from God. I want you to come to get to know me. I want you to get to know and experience this part of me by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Lord. Let's talk about that. Uh, This is basically the spirit of Yahweh. It means the Lord. It's translated in English. It usually describes the omnipotent God. He's God who has power over all people, the God who has power over the entire earth and all creation, the God who is powerful over all other gods and any other being that can be named. He has supremacy. He is the ultimate authority. He has all might. Now, sometimes that, is, that Yahweh uh, um, name is, is connected uh, to some other adjectives. So he's, he's the supreme head 
of the hosts. So Yahweh Sabaoth, and, and there are many different, Yahweh Jireh. There are so many different like this where God shows himself as the almighty, all-powerful God in this specific thing. But basically, it means the supreme commander, the one who has all authority, the great and almighty God. And so this, when, you, when the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord, He comes into our life and He brings forth a passion and an awe and a respect and, a, and a, a, just a worship and an honor of who God is. And He wants that. So when you find people who are responding to the Holy Spirit, one of the things you'll discover is that you become very sensitive, very sensitive to bringing honor to the Lord, to, to bring praise to his name. Uh, I, I notice this, you'll notice this intimately when people who don't know the Holy Spirit make jokes about God or about the Holy Spirit. And it jars you inside if you know the Holy Spirit because you go, wow, ooh. It, it, you don't know who you joke. This is not a moment. To, you know, it's got that feel of, whoa. Don't joke about that. You know, like you, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's what Jude says, these people are bold and they make claims and they make jokes and they, and they put down spiritual realities. And so the Spirit of the Lord brings this, the sense of the awe and the wonder of our God. Not, not a fear of Him in the sense of, oh, I don't want to be close to Him, but a wonder and awe that makes you want to draw near. Isaiah 8 says, the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything they call conspiracy and don't fear what they fear and don't dread it. For the Lord Almighty, this God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And I found that when you connect with the Spirit of the Lord, you, you learn and He orients and He realigns your heart so that there is one that you, that you esteem. There is one that you bow to. There is one that you honor. So I'm asking the Lord, come and let your fire, let this fire burn in my life because our God is an amazing, fearful, mighty in power, strong to deliver, glorious God. And when that fire burns, when I connect with the Holy Spirit, He allows an awe to be stirred in me and He won't let anything else overwhelm me. When I, when I have the Holy Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord in me, He eats up fear. He makes me bold and stout-hearted, and he stirs this fire in me, and uh, it makes God great in my eyes, and majestic, and it's got that sense of, if you, if you, if you hung out with people who've hung out with the Spirit of the Lord, they have this expansive view of God. He's powerful. He's glorious. He's, he's never been defeated. He's invincible. Reminds us of who we serve. That's why Hebrews says, this is, this is the scripture for me that reminds me of this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for how God is a consuming fire. It's that moment where you come into the glorious holiness of God. My favorite is Daniel. And the angel shows up and Daniel sees the angel, but everybody around him, nobody else sees the angel, but they're all flat on their face because the glory of God comes down. And the angel says to Daniel, stand up, I want to talk to you. And he goes, look, no offense, but I, you're talking about standing. He says, I'm having difficulty breathing. 
I'm, hard, I'm struggling to breathe. Can you, just, can you just let up a little of the glory? And the angel touches him and says, be strong. And gives him strength so he can at least stand up while the angel talks to him. Would you let that fire burn in you, the fire of the Spirit of the Lord? Let's talk about the Spirit of Wisdom. Corinthians, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and kept, uh, been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age have understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. No mind can conceive, no ear has heard, no one can dream about this, but God will reveal it to you by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So one of the key names of the Holy Spirit, or one of the key attributes by which the Holy Spirit is known, is the Spirit of wisdom. Now, His wisdom is pure. It comes from heaven. It's not tainted wisdom of this world. It's not selfish in its motive. It's not driven by envy. It's the wisdom that comes from heaven. As James 3 says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, then considerate. There is something about the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, because so many people are talking about, I, I need wisdom for what I'm doing, and I think there is immensely practical application for the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. But so many people are looking for the buttons we can press so that I get the answers I want so I can go and do what I want to do in this world. And the wisdom that comes from heaven is not like that. It's not driven primarily by those things. The wisdom that comes from heaven, the spirit of wisdom, will bring you wisdom that'll stir your life and orient you to bring honor and glory to God. So his wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. As Psalm 111 says in Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 4 and Proverbs 9, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So the, the spirit of wisdom will teach you how to walk well before God. Purity will be something that he talks to you about. He will talk to you about humility. Because James 3 says, who's wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his life lived in the humility that comes from wisdom. Woo! If you see someone arrogant, you can know for a fact that they're not in wisdom. They're not walking in the wisdom that God gives. Guaranteed. <laughs> when pride comes, then comes disgrace, Proverbs 11 says. But with humility comes wisdom. This is the way, this is the way it works. So the, the wisdom that comes from heaven, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom, he wants to pour wisdom into our life. And the more time I spend with him, the more time we rub shoulders, as it were, the more time I listen to his voice, the more the spirit of wisdom rubs off on me and that oil is in my life. And I can begin to demonstrate and walk and apply the wisdom that God's giving me. I'm running out of time. The spirit of understanding. We're gonna rush now. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, Colossians 1, we have not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The Spirit of understanding. Oh, I so appreciate understanding because sometimes I've been in a knotted up and not understanding and, and, just, and then the Holy Spirit explains something to me. I go, oh, thank you. Understanding brings light. Understanding brings an appropriate response. If I'm not understanding what God is doing in my life, I fight Him typically, but when I understand, I celebrate and I cooperate with Him and we see the blessing of God flow. Understanding is so vitally important and especially when it comes to spiritual things. So understanding the spiritual things in our life is exceptionally, exceptionally important. Because the Bible says, that's what Paul says in Colossians, if, you, if, you, um, if we've not stopped praying to ask God to give you this wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, and he says, I pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, and you bear fruit in every good work, because when you have understanding, suddenly there's cooperation and life flows. And so this idea in Proverbs 2 says, my son, if you store up my commands and you search for them as for treasure and you look for them as for, and you cry aloud for understanding and you call out to God, then I'll give it to you. So there is a little bit of a hunger that needs to be inculcated here to say, Holy Spirit, I need the spirit of understanding. I need you to give me hope. I need you to give me understanding. I need you to show me what it is that you're doing. So valuable to me. Paul once said, he said, I used to view people, I said, I used to view Jesus like this. Jesus was a backward little carpenter that he was a charlatan. He was just hoodwinking people. And he said, I persecuted him. And then I got understanding about who he is. That's the the Christ of God. And he goes, my whole life changed. Though once I view Christ in this way, I do so no more. From now onwards, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He said, I'm not allowed to look in an old way. I, I was given understanding that that's the Christ. And he says, now it's changed my whole view. Everything about the way I live, everything about, it's oriented my whole value systems. It's changed my entire life. Spirit of understanding. Oh, Lord, I so appreciate your understanding. Spirit of counsel. (laughs) I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So very precious, the counsel of God. How good are you at receiving counsel from other people? Let me ask your spouse. (laughs) See, the Holy Spirit's counsel is perfectly balanced. It's for your good. It's for God's honor. It's in others' best interests. It's holy. It's pure. It's wise. It's beneficial. When he speaks, his counsel is absolutely precious. And we have access to that. Why is this not our most diligent pursuit? That's what I, you know, I, was, I was like, man, I don't understand. I was like, Lord, I had to repent while I was preparing this. Man. Why is this not my most diligent pursuit? His counsel is so precious. The spirit of counsel. He'll counsel you in the way that you should go. Not a one size fits all. The way you should go. In the dreams he has for your life. In the calling he's put on you. He'll counsel you in that. Yeah, but what about this thing that arrived? Well, he counseled you around that too. Spirit of might. I know I'm rushing, but he's powerful. 
And he brings God's power into our lives. And that power has a focus. It's to bring glory to God, to achieve the will of God on earth, to let the world know. It's to testify about Jesus. And we owe our generation a demonstration of the power that's not found in the natural gifts of mankind working in synergy. If all the church can do is gather people together and it's natural giftings working in synergy, then that's the same as anybody else who doesn't have any faith can pull off. I'm asking God for a supernatural power that supersedes that, although that is valuable. We need God's glory and power. Because Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The spirit of might. And this power is given to us so that those people whose ears are stopped up, who can't hear the gospel, so God allows them to see the gospel lived out in front of their own eyes. A demonstration, the full proclamation of the gospel requires signs and wonders and miracles. You cannot proclaim the full gospel of God without a demonstration of miracles and power. That's why Jesus said, don't preach until you've got power. Never heard many sermons on that. Stop, don't leave Jerusalem. I don't want you guys out there in the world. Don't you dare go anywhere until you've received power from on high. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, the Bible says. Well, I'm not sure that God wants me to be in power. Well, then that's what the Bible says. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Part of this issue is we need to rub shoulders with the spirit of might. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Praise God. It was so cool. I just got, I was, we were praying, we did the first conference, I felt like the Lord said, Phil, he's got problems with his nose. And I only, so I knew there was a guy, Phil, there. So I'm just walking around and he's standing there. I walk up, I say, Phil, what's wrong with your nose? He goes, yeah, I haven't been able to smell for nine months. He says, COVID, and I haven't smelled since nine months. I said, come here, we pray. Text me that night. I shouldn't say, that. I said, I'm smelling the wine and the steak. <laughs> this power is not just for, for, for demonstration, it's a proclamation for godly living, empowering people to live well. Oh, spur of knowledge, I'm running out of time. <laughs> he loves to share God's knowledge, he's not stingy with it. Knowledge requires discretion and action, wise action. Because if we isolate knowledge, it just tends to puff up and not build up. But the knowledge he gives is exceedingly practical and useful. It's not primarily academic, but it's, it's full of wisdom and understanding and the most practical sort. Much of the knowledge the Holy Spirit gives me is, and he'll, and he'll give you is going to require your prayer. What do you want me to do with this, Lord? How do I go about this? What else do I need to do? And then the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is such a vital ingredient to our walk with God. Not to keep us at a distance, but to, because we've been brought very near, it's a necessary ingredient into that moment. It's a wholesome respect and honor and fear of the Lord. And it's important for our spiritual development. Because we, we perfect the work of the cross through it. Because 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us uh, uh, purify ourselves from everything that will contaminate body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence of God. 
There's something about the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And the more time you spend with him, the more that beautiful dignity and respect and honor of God is driven deep into who you are as a person. And it affects everything. It affects who you meet with. It affects how you say things. It, it, it mostly affects the stuff that I say about God and his people. And can't joke, can't make light, can't belittle, can't. It's just the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I want to invite you to just take the next few minutes. I know we're running late and that's partly my fault. And the team are just going to lead us in a song of worship. And I'm hoping that in this time that you would just take a moment and you'd come to the Lord. We'll, we'll put up a list of all the different, uh, you know, we'll, that scripture from Isaiah 11 again will come up. And it'll show you about who he is, the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of knowledge, spirit of counsel. And I wonder if you would just take a minute or two as we worship in the song. And would you make of this time, of this moment, a prayer to the Holy Spirit? This is between you and he. This is just your heart open up to him and saying, Lord, I really need to know you. I need to know you. It's almost like Jacob on the mat found himself face to face with God. And let's just use the moment to grab hold and say, I, I can't let you go until you bless me. I, I have to know you personally. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I need you. So I'm going to invite you to do that because I, I, I swear this to you. If you mean it in your heart, you'll enter a new phase of your walk with him. He'll come and be with you. Spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Maybe there's one or two of those areas you go, man, I... I really, could, I really could use some oil. I feel like I'm running a little dry here. I feel like I'm rubbing bone on bone. Could you, could you oil me up, Lord? Could you fill me? I need help. Because this is not about you doing it all. It's about you just going, Lord, I need some oil. So I'm going to pray a prayer. The team's going to minister. And I'm hoping you can just close your eyes and bring a prayer that's exceptionally meaningful to you, to the Lord. Or to you, and through you, and for you are all things. And Lord, in this moment, I think we all just realize, Lord, we need more of you. So I'm asking, Lord, that as we cry out now to you, that you'd come and visit with us. And that, Lord, there would be a significant step forward in every person in this place because you come and because you touch their lives. So speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, Lord, we receive your presence. We receive your beauty. Holy Spirit, we so honor you and we so need you. We thirst for you, Lord. Jesus said, Lord, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And streams of living water will flow from their innermost being. Lord, so many of us have been sitting through this message and going, I need, I need more of that. I, I need to know you better. So Lord, receive this hunger from us. Receive this reality, Lord. We need you. Lord, not all of us are sure how to find you or how to grow and walk with you. So I'm asking you, Lord, would you teach us? Would you draw us closer? Would you light fires in our heart, Lord? We, we give you the right, do you have the right, Lord? But we, we just say, Lord, we sanction, we agree with any fire you would start in our lives, any yearnings you want to bring. I just saw the Lord walking through the, and just taking stress and brokenness of people and he's handing out peace. And so I just want to agree with, so I saw him doing. So Lord, I just thank you for peace, like a river now. Touching people all over the place. Peace, peace, peace to you. Some businessmen, so, so two or three businessmen going, Lord, I need, I need help right now. 
That's all filling up the cracks. He's strengthening it. There's uh, something coming. So Father, I just pray for those businessmen and women. Great wisdom, Lord. Supernatural wisdom, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bless your people. Thank you, Lord. You're the kindest person I've ever met, Holy Spirit. We trust you. Come and move in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.